Hello, you delightful, warm human being. Welcome to episode 60 of the Blind By Podcast, you prick. There's a technique in story writing called, it's called circular writing. And it's, it's where you, you tell the reader how the story is going to end in the opening paragraph, do you know? So this podcast is going to end with me telling you how myself and Mr. Chrome and DJ Willie or DJ, how we, the rubber bandits, watched a Scottish man masturbating with boys on. Um, I'm I'm very under the weather this week. I don't know. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice. I can't hear it in my voice. I got a flu, right? Last week, in if you remember the bit in last week's podcast, where I had to crawl around the floor to blow my ocarina, and immediately afterwards I said. That gave me a pain in my neck. Turns out that pain in my neck was a, a gland in my neck. And that morning, the, the morning after, I woke up with a, a like a, a infection or a flu or whatever the fuck. So I spent four days with this awful flu. And the whole shebang, you know. Fucking roaring fever. Sweating in bed. Um... My fever was so bad that when I was in bed, there's a a scene from, there's a a very odd film from the 80s called Communion. And it's it's about Christopher Walken as an author who gets abducted by aliens. And I managed to see it once on Sky One when I was a child and it gave me recurring nightmares. Because there's one scene in it where Christopher Walken is sitting down in a rocking chair and... This alien, like the traditional grey alien with the big black eyes. Christopher Walken sitting down in his room and he looks over to the wardrobe. There's nothing there. He looks away and then he looks again. And this little sinister alien head just pokes out. And I saw that when I was seven years of fucking age. And it was like a dagger to my chest. It traumatised me, you know. It was the most terrifying thing I'd ever seen. And then when I would be sleeping as a kid, I used to shut my eyes in bed so tight because I was terrified that I would look up and if I looked at the wardrobe or if I looked at the door, that a little alien would peek his head out. And of course I've gone back and looked at it on YouTube. <clears throat> and it's not scary at all. It's, it's the worst alien prosthetic I've ever seen in my life it's like a piece of fucking cardboard but when I was seven scared the living shit out of me terrified me I was terrified of aliens really really frightened of aliens for many years because of the film communion and unsolved mysteries that had a terrifying theme tune so that traumatised me about aliens about getting abducted by aliens all of that stuff so yeah, having my fever dream the other morning as a grown adult man and was in and out of in and out of sleep, sweating. And I looked up at the door and I saw the alien. I saw Christopher Walken's fucking alien, stupid little white head with the big black eyes stuck his head in the door. And uh I awoke from my fever dream very, rather sharp and traumatized. So that, that was unpleasant. <clears throat> so after four days of that bullshit, it was like a sore throat, but also in my the back of my face, which is my sinuses. So after four days of the fever, it was subsiding. I was like, okay, I'm grand now. Cop on to yourself, because I was doing nothing. I was just sitting around on the couch, uh, watching TV, not getting any work done, not doing nothing, because I... Had no no energy. You know how it is. <coughs> so I kind of jinxed myself as well. Like a couple of weeks ago, I told you that, you know, when I used to have severe mental health problems, I tended to have more and more illnesses like infections and flus and whatever. So when I get ill now, 
what I do is I refuse to accept that I'm ill and I go for runs or I go for a jog or I go about my day. I avoid sticking to the couch, basically. For this one, I had to. I had a roaring fever. I had pains in my bones. I had no appetite. The whole shebang. But by day four, the fever was gone. So I said to myself, fuck that now. It's time to, it's time to kick this illness's arse and let it know that it is not welcome in my body. So I laced up my shoes and went for a full 10 kilometer run which I was able to do but about three hours later I realised that it was foolish and premature and like a 10 kilometer run is that's a thousand calories of energy so that that is very very intense uh, exercise so I was flying it during the run getting the runners high two hours afterwards I'd realised oh shit, that was fucking stupid. I've put my entire body under stress. And obviously the virus or whatever is in my body was like, brilliant, look at this thick bastard. What a stupid, stupid man. He spent four days resting, recuperating and hydrating himself. And then he just went for a run and and sweated out a couple of pints of water. What a silly man. So the virus then decided to use my self-inflicted weakness and the lowering of my immunity and the the stress on every element of my body that I'd done by running and the virus was just like grand okay I'll kick you when you're down so it came back with a vengeance and it got into my ears so I'm speaking to you right now and I literally have no hearing on the right hand side of my head and only half hearing on my left ear I've got a, a, a vicious, painful infection in my ear canals and a bit of a fever. Not Kristen Wa- Christopher Walken levels, but I don't feel great. Uh, so that's... I'm doing this week's podcast, unable to hear my voice. Well, what I have done is, like I said, because I have practically no hearing, about 10% hearing in my right ear... I'm wearing one headphone that's feeding my voice back into me and I have it turned up really loud. So I've, I've kind of turned myself into a cyborg. I've electronically modified uh, the sound using a head, one headphone to compensate for my blocked ear canal. <clears throat> but, yeah, incredibly painful. I went to the doctor this morning, <clears throat> which I don't usually do. And when I went to the doctor, um, like I rang up the doctor and I said, can I, can you give me a fucking appointment? And they're like, well, not today, like, uh, is it an emergency? And I said, well, it's not waiting room in the hospital emergency, but I can't hear in my right ear because of a cold. So in fairness to the secretary, she was just like, all right, can you come now? So I was like, yart. So I went to the doctor and as I sat down, he shoved the the little light thing into my ear and said, Oh my, oh wow. So you don't want to hear that. Don't want to hear that at all. And I go, what? Oh wow, that must be very painful. So that's how bad it is. So I'm on a bollock load of antibiotics and steroids. At two different types of steroid, a mouth steroid and then one that I spray up my nose and I'm on codeine which is a form of heroin so it's the sickest I've been in a while like why am I telling you all this you're wondering why the fuck are you giving me intimate details about the viscosity of your inner ear canal blind boy because it's a podcast and because like, it's not a radio show. If this, like, I know I've got listeners that they are the equivalent of a radio show, but at the end of the day, this is my podcast where no matter how many people listen to this, it's me in a room in Limerick talking into a sock. That's what this is. I don't have producers. I don't have, like, I've got a studio, but it's not really a studio. It's a couple of lights and a lot of books and shit. This is not a professionally run operation. And 
I will never not deliver a podcast. Simple as that. I would have to. It would have to be exceptional circumstances for me to turn around to you and say there is no podcast this week. I don't want to do that. No matter what condition I'm in, no matter where the fuck I am, I will always deliver something. And I just didn't want to do another live podcast this week, so I just said, fuck it, I'm going to talk and see what the crack is. Like, if it's a radio show, like, I don't know, Ray Darcy or fucking Ryan Tuberty or Tom Dunn, like, they get sick, and if they get sick, first off, they have buttons on their desks. They have these, like, because I've been in radio stations, and there's these bright red cough buttons that, uh, (laughs) <laughs> they're <laughs> just had a vision. I, they're a they're, they're a button you press. They're a button you press when you want to cough, and it what it does is it, it turns the sound down so the the audience doesn't have to listen to the cough. But uh, I just had this vision of like Tuberty or Tom Dunn not knowing that you're supposed to press the cough button, and instead thinking, well, there's cough drops, and I put them in my mouth. So this vision of like Tom Dunn or Tuberty at their radio desk, the microphone in front of them, and their headphones on, and when they feel they have a cough, no one tells them that they're supposed to press the red button, so they just bend their head down and start filleting it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's what radio stations do. Tuberty gets a fucking ear infection from, I don't know, kite surfing or whatever he does to get ear infections. He gets gets attacked by an albatross above Ben Bulbin. And the albatross spits into his ear and Tuberty gets an ear infection. So what do they do? They replace him with Marion Finucane or someone for a week. I don't have that luxury. This is a podcast. It's in my bedroom. I'm talking into a sock. So I I have to just do it. I have to just go, I've got an ear infection. So this week's podcast is going to be the podcast where I had an ear infection. There is a part of me then that's half tempted to keep it in the back pocket. The next time I get an ear infection that I like, I don't know, get fucking Marty Morrissey or George Hook to replace me on the podcast, but they have to follow my carefully prepared notes. So you bring in Marty Morrissey. Because I'm working on a podcast at the moment about... um. It's about the history of popular music in Japan, going from, like, before World War Two up until the 80s. Like, Japanese city pop and synth pop and Japanese funk. And, yeah, imagine having fucking Marty Morrissey and I just give him a few quid and I say, Marty, I'm sick this week. Here are my extensive, well-researched notes on the history of Japanese city pop, Marty. Can you do that podcast? So I do have that inkling in the back of my head that that would just be gas and surreal and I'm guessing Marty would just do anything for money you know same with George Hook but with George I'd have to I'd have to say man no personal opinions this is just a very calm dissection of the cultural and historical significance of Japanese synth music man Um, nothing else so that's the deal this is my ear infection podcast. Um, so I don't want anyone complaining on Twitter. Didn't really like the podcast this week. You know, fuck off. It's a podcast. From the start, the mission was this will develop. It will change. But most importantly, it's not a fucking radio show. Radio shows have to play by certain rules. And the joy of a podcast and the freedom that's in it and the unique beauty of it. You can only have that at the expense of quote-unquote professionalism. Because a lot of what's wrong with television and a lot of what's wrong with radio is too much professionalism. By which I mean TV and radio are very long-standing, well-established kind of creative mediums and while that's while that can deliver amazing results where that can become a problem is 
when you're working in radio and TV, you can find yourself not having freedom to be creative because you must do things the way they've always been done. And to, if you say why, it's like, because this is how they've always been done. But how things have always been done might not be right for what you're looking for. So with the podcast, it's more fluid. It's the difference between going to see a band and the band are performing their songs that they've written and released or going to see the same band in a smaller venue and all they're doing is jamming. And some of it might be brilliant, some of it might be shit, but it's a creative space and it's a different vibe. That's what a podcast is compared to radio. And of course you've got advertisers and rules on radio too. So you have to be careful with what you say because you could piss off someone who's paying for advertising or the competitor of an advertiser or most radio stations receive money from what's known as the the BAI, the Broadcast Authority of Ireland. And if you take Broadcast Authority of Ireland money which comes from tax money, that means that most opinions that you express, if they're in any way controversial, you're also obliged to either challenge it or present a differing opinion. This is why on Irish radio and television, if there's, I don't know, a discussion about about something like race or a discussion about sexuality or a discussion about trans people, you always get the media... You'd have, you know, you'd have um, a gay person talking about their their rights to exist, and then you've got someone across the way from them trying to argue why that gay person shouldn't have rights. And a lot of the time, it is the show just trying to be controversial and trying to stir the pot. But it's also, if you receive money from the BAI, if that view conflicts with <clears throat> something like someone's religious views. None of this applies to a podcast. You can be as fluid as you like. You can say what you want. And that's the crack. So there's not going to be a massive amount of structure in this week's podcast. Last week's podcast, I was very happy with that. That was that lovely, beautiful hot take about the swastika and about Hitler. And if you want a hot take podcast, go back to the start. Pick one of the 60 podcasts that are out there. I bet you you haven't listened to all of them. So I seen I seen Bison trending on Twitter there during the week, and it was good crack. They were trending because Bison are getting back together for a tour, and I like Bison. I like Bison. I'm I'm always rooting for Bison uh, because I've met most of them. Their sound, Mikey Graham. I know he listens to this podcast because he sent me a lovely message couple of weeks back saying he enjoys it. Um, but when I saw Bison trending, <clears throat> I remembered back to a song that we had released. Um, kind of went under the radar. We have a song called Bison, right? And it went under the radar because we released it in 2013. Uh, it's, first off, I'll, t- I'll tell you the reason that we made this Bison song. And I tell you, we we were doing a gig. We did a gig with Bison. We did a gig with two of Bison in Edinburgh on St Patrick's Day. And I've spoken about there's there's this St Patrick's Day gig that we've done for the past five years, and it's in the Three Sisters Pub in Edinburgh. And every year we do this gig, and it's an awful awful gig. It's good crack. Don't get me wrong, but it's St Patrick's Day. In Cowsgate in Edinburgh, which is like an Irish enclave in this huge Irish pub, and there's about three or four thousand people there. There is serious levels of drunkenness because it's Paddy's Day and it's all the Irish people in Edinburgh. And we fly over and we do a rubber band that's Edinburgh gig in this little cavern at the back, and it's fucking jammed with like a thousand people. And it's not a gig, it's us shit-faced drunk, it's the audience shit-faced drunk, and it's like this communal vomiting at each other. 
but it's amazing crack and we do it every year when I do do it I'm very quiet about it because I don't want any like we'd have a lot of fans in Edinburgh because we've done the Edinburgh Festival and because you know we were in the train spotting film we've a lot of Scottish fans who are proper into our stuff you know they'd actually enjoy the rubber bandits music whereas our Irish fans in Edinburgh the vast majority of them they just know horse outside and couldn't give a fuck about us and they're really pissed so I don't want any of our actual Scottish fans finding out about this gig in Edinburgh in case they come along to it and it's just a large communal vomiting of Irish people in a room I don't like I don't want Scottish people to see that but every year we do this gig and it's kind of it's a novelty gig it's you know it's novelty Irish Paddy's Day and we're booked as the novelty act Um, you know last year it was us and Jedward and I told you that fucking story where we were flying over on the plane and Jedward were in the fucking plane (laughs) the plane it didn't it didn't nearly crash but everyone felt that way because it was a fucker and it got mad turbulence and I spoke about it on a previous podcast I was praying not praying but like kind of Fuck it, wouldn't it be cool to die on a plane with Jedward? Wouldn't that be so funny? <laughs> but anyway, three years ago, the bill for it might would have been maybe twenty twelve, I'd say. Twenty twelve uh Paddy's Day, it was us and half of Boyzone who were on the bill. So it was base it was just Kate Duffy. And Shane Lynch. And the Rubber Bandits. And we were sharing the same stage. And sharing the same dressing room. And we basically... We just do this gig because it's crack. And it's a piss up. And we go to Edinburgh for two days. And we have great time. And we do this gig and get mouldy. And whatever. And it was the same with boys on. Do you know? They were just like... Yeah, fuck it. This is just a weekend to have a bit of crack. So Shane and Keith were doing the gig gonna get up do a few songs I think they had a, an mp3 player or something with the tunes and they, I don't even think they were doing full tunes like full boys on songs they were just going through a few of them and just doing the bit but mainly they were over for the laugh so uh, they had um, Stephen Gately who Stephen Gately passed so Stephen Gately's brother was with him because I think it was close to Stephen Gately's birthday and yeah we great crack just lovely lovely down to earth cunts simple as that uh, Keith Duffy is an absolute gentleman a lovely man if you met him you wouldn't think that he was as famous as he is you know like boys on were mad famous in the 90s they were huge and still incredibly down to earth and same with Shane Shane's just a normal lad he's sound so anyway back to this boys on song and why we wrote it so the song is called boys on You've got nothing to lose. And it's a song we wrote because we were having crack and Keith and Shane came out to see our set and they loved it. They loved the songs and they were roaring, laughing and really enjoyed it. And they were backstage with us and Keith says to us, Do you know what, lads? We might be doing a reunion and we'll be doing Croke Park. Ye should come out as our support act. We'd love that. Wouldn't that be cool? Ye come out as our support act. We've got nothing to lose. You should do it. We've got nothing to lose. And me and Mr. Crom just thought this was so fucking funny. Because on the one hand he's given us this lovely compliment. But on the other hand he's gone. You should come out and support us, lads. Technically it would ruin our career. But who cares? We've got nothing to lose. Come out there in Croke Park with your plastic bags and your songs. And do something essentially awful. But it doesn't matter. We've got nothing to lose. And me and me and Chrome thought this was gas. So we got like talking on the plane back. Myself and Chrome like thinking like fucking hell. So if, if Keith Duffy's assertion is correct and you know boys on essentially they've done all they can done. Or done all they can do. You know they've had numerous number ones tours all around the world. They're retired their legacy is, is solid so beyond that point Boyzone have got absolutely nothing to lose but if the most like radical 
assertion that Keith Duffy could posit in terms of, you know, what would be the maddest thing that Bison could do. If that was just, you know, bringing the rubber bandits out as their support act when they did a gig, me and Chrome got to think, no, like, what what could Bison, what, what, what shit could Bison actually do? Like, how mad could they go where people would go, doesn't matter, they've nothing to lose, you know? But what silly things could Bison do where they could utterly destroy their career but be comfortable in the fact that their legacy is untouched? So we wrote a song about it. We, we thought this is a pretty funny idea, let's write a song um, whereby we suggest to Bison the list of things that they can do with the it's it's a it's a song about freedom. It's like Bison, Keith, Keith Duffy man, you've done everything. Alright? The world is effectively now your oyster. You've done all the stuff that keeps the people happy. Now it's time to get weird. The world is your oyster. So that's what this song Bison, You've Got Nothing to Lose is that we made. I'll play I'll play it for you. Cause why the fuck not? Because it's also three minutes where I don't have to talk with my very sore throat but uh, there's also we also made a video for it a very depressing video I'll speak about that after but yeah this is boys on you've got nothing to lose Um, it's alright little bit throwaway little bit of a throwaway song would have been made in a week I'd say On. You've got nothing to lose So write a few tunes about the famine Just to see what'll happen Or an opera about solvent abuse Bison You've got nothing to lose So jump on a cruise to Japan on your faces that are funny and racist regret them and then get them removed Bison you've got nothing to lose so why not refuse to pay tax and stop wearing slacks start a little military Bison. It's a bison. There's no girls allowed. 
in the pie zone. It's a zone full of pies. So my pies in it. Actually, that that's not as bad as I remember it. I haven't listened to that properly now. I'd say since with headphones on, like I haven't listened to it properly since about 2013. Yeah, it's not too bad. Um, I can hear there in the. I'm quite happy with that production. I would have been listening to an album called Information Exploration by Shuggy Otis. Was that what it was called? Inspiration Information by Shuggy Otis. An absolutely fantastic fucking album. Listen to it, but I know by the sound of that song that that's what I was listening to at that time. And a small bit of Prince and a small bit of Pharrell. Um, but yeah, so that song, we decided to, we needed a bit of money, right? This would have been fucking Christmas 2013 maybe, right? So that would have been not the height of our popularity, we'll say. That would have been a very, very low point for us because Horse Outside was the end of 2010. So by 2011... 2012 we had very much outstayed our welcome with our audience people really hated us because we were just novelty stupid clowns who did horse outside and our original kind of fan base from before horse outside had left because the gigs had started just filling up with bandwagoners who were behaving like pricks making it no crack for the actual fans and the bandwagoners they become particularly vicious after about six months because, you know, it's a fan base that only like you for one thing and don't like anything else you do. So anything you do after that one viral novelty hit is immediately a, di- a disappointment. But anyway, so our popularity was not huge in 2013 and we did need money. So it was coming up to Christmas, so I rang up RTE and I said... Look, we've got this silly song about Boyzone, we just made it. Do you want to make a video out of it? Uh, put it on Republic of Telly. So they said, yeah. So they gave us a couple of quid. About 500 quid each, which is absolutely fantastic when you really need it. But most people would be like, oh, I saw your song and video on Primetime RTE last night. Wow, they must have given you a million quid. No, they give you 500 quid. That's uh, nothing wrong with that. That's absolutely fantastic, like I said, when you need it. But this idea that there's a bunch of money in television, there is for about 1% of people, but the rest, people just get paid normal money, even when you're on screen. So anyway, because it was RTE, we know the budgets are going to be absolutely tiny because RTE, since about... 2010 RTE have been getting progressively and progressively poorer so there's less and less money on screen so we knew we would have to pitch a music video idea that would be incredibly cheap now the way to keep things incredibly cheap with film if you're filming something the trick is if you want to save money shoot everything in the one location because even with the cheapest low budget production you have to have minimum we'll say seven people employed you have to have cameraman, director, uh, someone for sound, lights, um, and a couple of, we'll say, assistants moving equipment around the place. So it is five, six, seven people employed. And when you move location, you lose about two hours. Um, two hours of people setting up. And time is money when it comes to film. So we knew, okay, we need an idea where everything happens in one room. So the idea for it was... Uh, the video is boys on are in a meeting with their manager the manager says to them you need to do something fresh with your career I have some business consultants here who are going to give you suggestions then the rubber bandits walk in we have a clipboard and the events of the song play out on the clipboard to boys on we asked RTE any chance you can get boys on not a fucking hope that would cost money so Mr. Chrome went and made four boys on puppets um, on no budget and ran out made three very convincing uh, made, made a great uh, 
Shane Lynch, fucking Mikey Graham and Ronan Keating, but then ran out of fabric by the time it came to Keith Duffy, so just represented Keith Duffy as a sock with a pair of eyes and some teeth. Uh, so we did this anyway. The video's up on YouTube if you want to see it. Um, the video frustrates me because it's not great. It's it's not it's not as good as it could have been at all. And here's the heartbreaker. The director of the video was the Viper. The Viper from the fucking Hardy Bucks, who is one of the most original comic minds in the country and hands down the best comic editor in the country. The man's a fucking genius. So he was the director, as well as that, as some of the the extras in it and the puppeteers, we had a comedy group called Shifts. Again, very, very funny lads. So this huge pool of talent, but... RTE budgets. So there was no budget. So Chris, the director, is in this tiny... Has to make this thing in a very small amount of time. Fuck all money. So he can't flex his creative muscles. He instead has to get the job done. And all of us have to adopt that attitude. Like, there was no lights. There was no lights on set trying to film the video. In film language, to... Film something without lights is like making a chocolate cake, but instead of using chocolate, you use brown paint. Literally, it's that insane. But that's what it's like shooting with RTE sometimes. It's very frustrating. Um, They also didn't give us lights for horse outside. We, we bought our own lights. Thank fuck. And I know I'm continually bitching about RTE, but it's you must realise, what I'm doing is speaking from experience and criticizing a broken system and it's a pattern you see with it's it's almost a facet of neoliberalism with any organization that's government funded in rte you've got loads and loads of talented sound people who are forced to work in a system where it's not financed and in tv in particular tv is the art of turning money into light so if the money doesn't exist the light isn't going to be very good, you know. But you could argue under neoliberalism that it is in the interest of a government to underfund its public institutions, such as RTE, such as the HSE. HSE is another fucking example. Lots of people breaking their fucking arses. Nurses, mental health workers, underfunded. Working in a broken system that isn't funded properly. CIE, you know. Our buses aren't aren't fucking great. Our trains aren't great. It would be argued, if we were, were to take, we'll say, Britain as an example, or America, if a government consistently underfunds its public institutions and makes sure that it doesn't fund it enough whereby it can work smoothly, what happens is that the public turns around and says, fuck this, this public service that is, you know, my tax money is going towards a piece of shit. And people get so angry that the government then get to scrap the public institution and go, excellent, let's leave it up to the free market. It's privatised a lot, which is not a good result. Privatising public things, not great. Ask the people of Britain, paying ridiculous money for fucking train tickets. The people of Detroit privatised their bus routes. All of a sudden bus routes that don't have enough passengers are shut down you're left with huge swathes of the population who have no way of getting to work walking six hours to get to work fucking American television every five minutes there's an ad break you know I'm off my tits on codeine and have a bit of a fucking fever and how did I get to a story about boys on in Edinburgh to neoliberalism I'll get back to boys on in Edinburgh because I started off talking... The Keith Duffy thing, where Keith Duffy said, ye should support us, we've got nothing to lose. That's not even the story. That's not even the maddest part of the story. That comment that we turned into a song, that's just an aside. The maddest part of the boys on Edinburgh story, I'm about to tell you. Actually, we need to do the ocarina pause. Um, Now, like I said, I've been sick the entire week, so... Last week, you remember, I had to crawl onto the ground and play the ocarina from the floor because it's attached to the the roller of my swivel chair. 
it is still attached to the roller of my swivel chair because I've been too sick to be worrying about a Spanish clay whistle that's attached to a chair. So excuse me while I go onto the ground and blow the ocarina really quickly. This is so that, I don't know, an advert might be played. So it's, it's a warning. If, if You know the fucking, you know the crack. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. That was the ocarina pause. Oh, fuck, I'm dizzy after that now. <coughs> yeah, that wasn't pleasant. Yeah, don't crawl onto the fucking ground and, and blow really hard into a whistle when you have an inner ear infection, lads. Because the ear controls your balance. I'm going to have to sit back in the chair. <coughs> the room is fucking spinning, and I'm on coding. Um, support for the podcast uh, comes from the Patreon page this podcast does have a budget unlike RTE Productions this podcast has a fucking budget because because of you the listener like you know technically we all pay for bloody RTE through the TV license but I don't know what the fuck they're doing with the money but with this podcast you the listener have a choice you can you pay for this podcast with a, a suggested monthly patronage to become a, a patron of this podcast. Forward what forward slash dot com. What is it? Patreon dot com forward slash the blind boy podcast. Please go to that page if you would like to become a patron of this podcast. If you listen to the podcast, enjoy it, and are like. I'd buy this prick a cup of coffee. Or I would like to contribute to his his doctor's bill when his ear gets infected. If you'd like to do that, you can do it. Go to patreon.com forward slash the blind buy podcast and give me the price of a cup of coffee, please. And if you don't want to, you don't have to. That's absolutely fine. You can listen for free. And, you know, or you mightn't be able to afford it. And if you can afford it, you're paying for that person who can't. And I think it's, it's an all-round, it's a pretty fair system, all-round. And everyone gets the same service. It's been working great. Toss far. Like and subscribe to the podcast as well, please, and leave a little review. Yeah, fucking hell, I'm a bit dizzy. I'm dizzy now from crawling around the floor and, and doing heroin, you know? So, yeah, um, yes, the mad, the mad thing that happened in Edinburgh in 2012 with Boys On. So, we had our green room, right? <clears throat> we were sharing the green room with Boys On, uh, with Keith Duffy and, and Shane Lynch. And in the green room is essentially what it is. It, like, the pub that we were playing, it's like a pub slash hotel. So... It's like a converted hotel room that they give you as the green room. Oh, but I haven't told you this story before. I don't think I have. I think someone would have commented because it's too nuts. So, in the green room is, you know, it's all our drink, all our food. 
you know, with a fine spread, loads of Haribos and fucking marshmallows, beers, the whole shebang, potatoes, everything you want, spread out on the table of the green room. And you're about four stories up. And directly across the way, like maybe 20 feet, <clears throat> is apartments, right? And so right across the way, windows of the apartments and you can see directly into these windows right across the way from our green room because they're quite close so we at this point we're almost due on stage we're fully in costume bagged up myself DJ Willie or DJ and fucking Mr. Chrome <clears throat> so just as we're ready to like go out go and get ready for stage I look across at the window directly opposite where we are and it was darkish but the light was on and I see like oh, like it was so beautifully framed like it, 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 it was like it, like a director had framed it a coffee table with a laptop screen okay but then right in front of it was an object what I thought was an object, you know. I turned to Mr. Chrome and I say, what the fuck is that? What it was, was a, a human penis, right? So we're now both looking at, window across the way, there's a laptop on a coffee table, and directly, comedically, perfectly, in front of the laptop, is an erect penis, with no body attached to it. So obviously, it's a man's penis, belonging to a man, He's sitting on a couch. The couch has its back to the window. And he's having his evening wank to some pornography on his laptop. This is confirmed for us when a hand is introduced into the frame. And he begins operating his penis in a masturbatory fashion. So at first, like, we're just looking out the window going, Fuck it, man. Yeah, he's having a wank. He's, He's wanking to porn. And you're kind of transfixed by it, you know? Because there's the privacy of it. We're all three straight lads, so we've never seen another dude wank. So the first moments of it are kind of watching another lad's technique. And then I start to think, oh, fuck, man, hold on. If that was me... Yeah, fuck it, if that was me, I I wouldn't like... Maybe he doesn't know that we can see him. And not only that, if we can see him, there's like 60 fucking, there's 60 other rooms on, on this in this building. That means like 60 people could potentially see him having a wank right now. What if some cunt like takes out a camera, takes his photograph, really embarrasses him? There's nothing but drunk people here. It's Paddy's Day. So we then start to get concerned and we're like, fuck we should just bang on the window, we should do something, let him know that we can see him, and then he'll get embarrassed, and he'll shut the curtain down, right, let's do that, so, we then start freaking out, so we start, banging on the window, as hard as we can, to try and get his attention, but he can't hear us, so he still starts wanking away, now at this point, we're due on stage, right, so, whoever's outside our green room going, lads, we need you on stage now, they hear us inside screaming, now there's a crowd of people inside the room, and they're going, what are you screaming at the window for? So they look out. Now there's a bunch of people staring at this, still just a penis, masturbating, and a laptop of pornography. So we try and pry open the window now at this stage, but it's high up and it's a hotel window, so it doesn't really open properly, you know, it only opens a little bit. So we pry it open a small bit and we start reaching over to our rider and getting like handfuls of Haribo's handfuls of polo mints and like shoving our hands in under the the crack of the window and using like wrist power to flick our Haribo across the way so that it would hit his window and stop him in the middle of the wank so that we could alert him that like everyone can see you wanking man everybody can see it to do him a solid he then starts getting greedy by which I mean he pauses the wank momentarily so that he can fucking switch tabs of pornography on screen. Which then, that generates a cheer in the room that I'm in. Because 
all the lads can relate to it. It's like, oh, he's going for the tab switch. Well, hey. Then Bison come in. And your man is there still, baiting himself away, baiting away. And I think it was Keith Duffy, I think, came up to the window with us. I don't know if Shane was there. Shane was in the room, I think, anyway. So your man, anyway, finishes his wank, finally. Gets a bit of a cheer in the room. Finishes it in a very strange fashion, actually. uh, Switching between tabs in kind of rapid succession at the near the moment of climax. So he finishes, stands up, not wearing any pants, and then turns around and looks out the window. Looks across, because we're talking 20 feet, and the expression on his face was, it was beautiful. The expression on his face, quite simply, was, is that the rubber bandits and half a boy's on looking at me having a wank? That was the expression on his face. And there's this kind of Clint Eastwood moment of silence, you know? Like, there's dead silence. Like, fuck, what's he going to do? What are we going to do? Just staring. And your man doesn't pull down the blinds, leaves them open, turns around, no pants, goes up to the fucking the kitchen in his apartment and starts washing the dishes with no pants on, still on a post-wank semi-horn. And at that point I realised, alright, this is just what he does. He wasn't accidentally wanking and had left the window blinds open by accident. This is what he does. He has his wank beside the window at night time and either doesn't care that 60 people in a hotel can see him or kind of likes it. But that was his shtick. Fair play to him. He wasn't doing it at anybody. He was just doing it by himself. And I guess it's just like if, if you want to watch, you can. No one's forcing you to look out your window. I don't know. Or else he doesn't care. I was 15 minutes late for stage because of that and we went down and explained it to the audience so there you go that's my mad boys on story so I'll take a few of your questions now before we go Um, I'm taking these questions from Patreon Tammy asks I really love your personality thank you Tammy I'm alone most of the time especially during the holidays and your podcast is the first time in a long time that I've heard a personality that I can really connect to Thank you very much, Tammy. I'm assuming you're a Yank. Uh, only Yanks get called Tammy, don't they? After Tammy Wynette. Thank you so much for that, Tammy. That's the aim of the podcast hug. That's that's what I want to do. If I can become that little voice in your head that takes you out of the own your own voice in your head and gives you an hour of peace that feels like a conversation, then mission accomplished. That's what I'm all about. That's what I'm trying to do, to give people that mindful, <coughs> relaxing space. I'm an hour talking, <coughs> and my voice isn't good, lads. I should not be talking that long. So excuse excuse me if it starts to crackle at this point. Thank you, Tammy. Connor asks, Well, blind boy, I'm a Limerick man myself. I actually was in your Black Man music video some years back. Fuck off, really? Uh, I'm currently living in Melbourne. Always been a huge fan. You're a huge inspiration. Thank you. I wanted to ask about creative energy. In the last few months, I've found myself becoming increasingly lethargic and worse apathetic. I find I'm caring less and less about things I care about, particularly in creative endeavours. Where once I would sit for hours on end on a particular project, I find it difficult now to even bother. How do you keep yourself energised and excited about what you do? And how do you pick yourself up when... You find yourself with no energy at all. Thank you, brother. Yurt. Um, <coughs> well, first off, what I'd ask you to be conscious of is assuming your mental health is alright, that you're not experiencing what's known as anhedonia. Now, anhedonia can be... It's something that can be present in... Where, like, things we previous, previously enjoyed we no longer enjoy and we struggle to find any enjoyment but the tone of your message doesn't sound like that it just to me it sounds like you know have it in your awareness but the tone of your message just sounds like you're not getting the buzz out of creativity that you would have gotten uh, 
uh, a while back. Um, if you were in the Black Man video, I'm guessing you're probably about 25, 26. Um, I mean, there's an intensity to your early 20s and late teens that you don't get back, right? Uh, there's, a, there's a mental energy and, and a, a na naive burst of creative energy that exists from the ages of between maybe 15 and, and 23, and you don't get that back. So that's going to drift off, and it can get worse and worse over the... or, or lesser and lesser over the years. So what I'd say is kind of accept it, you know? Like, Jesus Christ, you're, when I was fucking... When I was 19, if I heard a piece of music that was particularly moving, like a, a Bob Dylan song or something, I could legitimately burst into tears. And I don't mean, like, not, not in front of people, like, on my own in my room. A piece of music could overwhelm me so profoundly that I could burst into fucking tears. It would move me. It would change my life. A song could become my obsession for three fucking weeks. And it would be the most beautiful, intense, emotive experience I could imagine. And that shit just stops. At about 24, 25, it just stops. It's a human brain thing, you know? I mean, they've done studies on... Like, our music... <laughs> Musical taste, your, our musical taste tends to be rooted in whatever we were listening to when we were 14. That tends to define our musical taste for the rest of our lives. And <clears throat> it's why when, when, sometimes when you hear music that teenagers are listening to now, you go, what the fuck is this? Because you don't have any frame of reference. It's, it's a similar part of the brain, I think, that enjoys cocaine. Our pleasure gets rooted in something that goes on in our brains anyway when we're 14. But... Yeah, what I'd say is with creativity, the sheer passionate, transcendental, joyous, intense creative feeling, <clears throat> that's, that stuff ends at about 24. The real intense shit, you know, and it's a shame, but it doesn't have to, like, completely disappear. You can get glimpses of it, of it again. So the reason I'm saying it is... <clears throat> be aware that maybe it's just that. Maybe it's the natural fact that you're not going to be getting that creative horn as much as you did when you were younger. Now, if you're finding yourself getting bored with whatever creative task you're doing, try not to think about it too much. Try not to make too much of an issue about it. What I do is I always try and have multiple types of creativity, right? And you don't have to necessarily be good at them. So if I'm writing for a long period of time, like if I'm writing my short stories and I'm going hell for leather for six weeks, I'll find myself after six weeks, like it no longer being crack and it no longer wanting to be something I want to do. So what I'll do then is I'll go, right, I'm not writing anymore now. Then I start making music. And I start, and, and then I get sick of the music after six, after six weeks and then I, want, I have the hunger for writing again. And then I might decide, I'm burnt out creatively. I need a month of video games. Do you know? So, don't focus on... If you're not getting crack out of it, don't beat yourself up over the fact that you're not getting enjoyment. Don't freak yourself out into thinking, oh, fuck. Like, let's just say your thing is drawing. Don't be saying to yourself, oh, fuck, I don't enjoy drawing anymore. What if it's gone forever? Oh, no. Be careful of that. It's fine. Move on to something else. Take up a new sport. Read a book. Do something different that's mental leisure. And you'll find naturally, after about six weeks or whatever, you'll want to do that thing again. And you'll approach it with new vigour. It's cyclical. That's what I find. Aiden asks, How far into Red Dead Redemption 2 are you? I'm not. I'm not even playing it, Aiden. Uh... If you don't know, Red Dead Redemption 2 is a video game that just came out. Possibly possibly the most advanced video game the world has seen yet. Um, Red Dead Redemption 1 was incredible. It's a Wild West video game, set in the Wild West. And Red Dead Redemption 2... Red Dead Redemption. Because I'm pronouncing it really quickly. It looks fucking amazing. It looks like a novel. 
I've seen the videos on YouTube and I know that if I play that video game, I will have to give it my entire life. I know I can't just casually dip in and out of it. I will have to live in this game as if it is a novel. And currently, I'm too fucking busy. I've got a TV series to write. I've got a book to write. I need my head fresh and I need to be being creative. So I'll be saving Red Dead Redemption. I'll buy it at a time when I know that I can have a reward. When my creative work is done, when I have no creative demands, and when I can switch my fucking brain off and live inside another person's imagination for two or three months, or however long it takes. So I'm not buying Red Dead Redemption 2. It's ruining people's lives already. I've spoken to numerous people who are... Like the details in the game. You ride around on your horse. The horse's testicles shrink when the weather gets cold. You know? So, I'm looking forward to playing it, but I'm going to give it a while. Because I've got work to do right now. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up. Do you know what, lads? I actually feel a small bit better at the end of the podcast. Like, my, my ears feel less congested. And I don't think I'm imagining it. Um... Like, I've got two... Like, my, my headphones are large headphones that wrap around my ears. And I started off with one of them on, just on the bad ear. And I said, fuck it, I, I put both of them on. And it created... A, it it create makes my ears rather warm. And I think that combined with me talking, the continual warmth and clamminess in my ears actually caused my ears to drain a little bit because my hearing is better. So the act of talking for an hour with earphones on, therapeutically drained my ears a little bit. Which is fucking bizarre. It's the other thing as well with the plastic bag. It took me ages to realise, like, sometimes, like, if I get the sniffles, I get sniffles really bad, especially with allergies, you know? So, I've had times where, if it's an interview, or if I'm doing a shoot, and I'm turning up with the sniffles, I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, this could ruin the absolute day. Because the thing is, is that if you have the sniffles, you're sniffling. When you sniffle, you want to be able to wipe your nose. You can't wipe your nose if you're wearing a plastic bag in your fucking head. You just can't. Forget about it. So you have to free dribble. So what I started doing, I started this about four years ago. I used to get a tampon. And I'd cut the tampon in half, like small tampons now. I cut them in half with scissors. And if I have the sniffles and I have to shoot or, or do an interview or do a day of interviews, I'd stick little bits of each tampon up my nose, leave them there, so that the snot from my nose would basically... Uh, dil- what do you call it? Dilute? Absorb into the tampons up my nose. But then the bag is over it as well, right? But what I found then is like after about an hour or two, any time I'd take the bag off, my sniffles were gone. And I, I never put two and two together. It's like normally the sniffles would last me two days, like if, it, if it's a dust allergy or hay fever. If I have the sniffles and need to do some bag stuff, the sniffles are gone as soon as the bag comes off after about an hour. And of course it is. The bag creates a localised, humid environment for my sinuses. That eradicates my allergies. So, throwing on that bag with a couple of half tampons up my nose, that's how I sort out the sniffles. God bless you, you cunts. Have a lovely week. Alright, I'll be back to you next week with some style of hot take. Um, There was no hot take this week. Because I was crawling around like a pathetic child. For five days with a roaring fever. I didn't have time to research a podcast or think about hot takes or anything like that so I just had to riff and, and boys on wanking you know so I'll have a hot take for next week I'll be over in London I was supposed to fly to London fucking tomorrow and I had to cancel it because the doctor told me this morning if you get on a plane sir your fucking ear, eardrums will burst last piece of advice the reason I'm having ear trouble today is because <clears throat> I got onto an airplane four or five years ago with a head cold. And if you have a cold, right, if you've got a runny nose, 
do not get on an airplane, especially if it's a short flight, like one over to England. Because what will happen <coughs> is that the pressure inside in the plane will it, it'll suck all the the runny snot from your nose right up into your ears. And what it did for me is that I ended up with this gunk and fluid stuck in my ears for about six months. I think... <coughs> Sorry, I think my tinnitus might be related to it. Uh, if you can avoid getting on a plane with a runny nose, please do. It's it's fucking hell. And this ear infection that I have today is because I damaged my eustachian tubes, they're known as, and my eardrums by getting on a plane. And I now get recurrent ear troubles anytime I get a head cold. So I was supposed to go to London tomorrow for a couple of days of writing for my BBC thing. I am not going to London because I could lose my hearing on that plane. So I'm going to be writing via Skype instead with my good buddy James Cotter. All right. God bless ye. Have a tremendous uh, have a tremendous week. I'll see you next week. I'll be back with a hot take. If this is your first podcast, go back to the start, please. They're not all like this. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.